You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. First, I want to sincerely thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Some of you have been with me from the beginning. Others are much newer to the show, but either way, I appreciate you all taking time out of your busy days to listen. And now as of this week, you will be able to watch the show as well as we are about to be officially set up on YouTube. Please, please, please search Locked on Zags later this week on YouTube and find the link or find the link on social media to subscribe to the show. It would really really mean a lot to me to have as many Zags fans as possible subscribed on YouTube. All right, everybody, we are one day away. Depending when you're listening to this, it might be game day, the start of the 2021-2022 college hoop season. Gonzaga is going to take on Dixie State in the kennel on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Before we get to that game, though, today is another edition of Mailbag Monday, where I will answer listener-submitted questions all episode long. This is a reminder for most of you, but also for any new listeners, if you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there are three ways to do so. You can tweet at me at ScoreZagScore whenever you are thinking of a question, and I will write it up and get it into the show. It helps if you tag it Mailbag Monday, but either way, I'm probably going to grab it, put it in my notes, save it for my Sunday night recording. I also reach out on Twitter Sunday mornings to solicit questions. You can respond to that tweet and I will get you into the show. And then, of course, I also take questions on other social media platforms on both Facebook and Instagram, as well as via email, which is where I think I get the majority at this point of my submissions uh, at andypatton 13 at gmail.com if you want to send multiple questions or just explain your questions or just have a conversation with me, whatever it may be. You're welcome to reach out via email at any point and I'll get those questions into the show as well. All right, it was more of a quality over quantity for this week's segment. I think we'll we'll probably see more questions as the actual season gets going, but we still got a couple questions to answer in each segment. This first question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, in a close game this season, who do you want to have the ball with the last shot? How would you draw it up or see it unfolding? Well, obviously, it depends if Gonzaga needs a two or a three, uh, but if it's two or less points that they need, you got to go to Drew Timmy. It has to be through Drew Timmy. He's One of the most efficient low post scorers in Gonzaga history. One of the most efficient scorers in the country. (laughs) He was last year. He will be again this year. That's almost an absolute guarantee, barring his decision to start shooting a bunch of threes per game, which would drag down his efficiency numbers. I don't think that's going to happen. We haven't seen it, at least through the first exhibition games. But I think if the Zags need two or one, they're going to Drew Timmy. I think it's simple. I think you either inbound the ball and you try to get a high-low with Chet Holmgren, where Chet gets the ball at the top of the key. Drew can establish position that way. You'll notice Gonzaga does a lot of offense where they they run the ball around the perimeter until Drew has position established in a way where it's easiest to get him an inbounds pass. I think they'll probably they would probably try to do that if they could get it to Chet. That's easiest because he's probably the second option outside of Drew. So if Drew or excuse me if Chet can't get the ball into Drew, then he can either put it on the ground, take a jump shot. Uh, look to facilitate some other kind of play where a guard maybe runs off of a handoff with him up at the top of the key, something like that. But ultimately, any last shot that requires two or less points, the shot should be being, it should be taken by Drew Timmy. There's very little doubt in my mind that he's the person that you should be getting the ball to. Now, if the team needs a three, <laughs> that's going to be a much different situation. If they need three to tie, I think you got to go Julian Strother at this point. And 
that partly is a confidence, my confidence level in Julian Strother, who is a very confident player himself and is a good three-point shooter. It's also a testament to the team's lack of experienced outside shooting on the rest of the roster, which is something we're going to talk about more in the, actually in the next question, but it's something that's already been discussed quite a bit this offseason and, and into the preseason. Gonzaga does not have a lot of consistent, reliable outside shooting, particularly from guys who've been around for a long time. But I think if you were to try to go with Julian Strother, I think you could you can run a lineup out there that I would feel pretty confident in. Uh, Andrew Nembhard, Nolan Hickman, Julian Strother, Ben Gregg, Chet Holmgren. That's your three-point lineup. For anybody who ever played NBA Jam or, or NBA Live or any of those video games, you can set a three-point lineup to put out there where it's just as many shooters as you possibly got. Uh, that lineup would make me feel pretty good, especially if they have Nemhard inbounding. Get it to a shooter, get him to get it up that way. But unless it's an absolute need of three situation, I'm getting the ball to the big man. This next question comes from Daniel via Gmail. He says, if my math is correct, Andrew Nemhard, Rasir Bolton, and Nolan Hickman are a combined two for 20 from three in two exhibition games. Are any of them going to step up and become 35 plus percent three-point shooters? And if not, is this going to be a big issue this season? Uh, So yeah, no and yes, I guess is the best way to put that. Uh, I do think, I don't think we'll see any of those guys end up shooting over 35% from three. Hickman probably has the best chance just because he is, was known as a a shooter coming out of high school. He's going to put up the lowest volume of shots out of those three guys. So it's a little bit easier to have a higher percentage when you're shooting less shots. But at the end of the day, I don't, Hickman's the only one I think could be a average to even above average three-point shooter. Uh, Andrew Nampard and Rasir Bolton, I just don't think are going to do it. And it's not that it's, that's not this hugely problematic thing for either of them necessarily. Neither, neither of them are on this roster to be gunners from outside. You know, the, the, the Zags did not recruit Nampard to ever fill that role. That's not what he did at Florida. It's not what they expected him to do. He's a facilitator. He's a passer. He's a mid-range shooter. He's good at getting to the rim. Uh, That's his game. Rasir Bolden is a lightning bolt on offense. He's one of the quickest dudes the Zags have ever had. He's elite at getting to the rim. He's elite at drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. He's not an outside shooter. That's just not what these two guys do. Hickman, I think, can become an outside shooter. He's more of a facilitator, more of a passer, more of an elite De- physically defensive, overwhelming player on that end of the uh, the floor, but he's not yet, I don't think, a big-time three-point shooter. Is it going to be a problem? Yeah, I think it could be. I, like, <laughs> it's hard to not be somewhat concerned about the guards outside shooting, and I'm not panicking, and I'm not suggesting panic for anybody else out there for a variety of reasons. Just try to avoid panicking as much as you can in life. That's That's pretty good advice, but with this, like, Chet Holmgren's going to be a good three-point shooter. Julian Strother's already a good three-point shooter. They could make Ben Gregg a bigger piece. Uh, I, I have struggled to see where he's going to fit in in that regard, and that's another thing we're going to talk about a little bit later with a different question. But he is a good outside shooter, and I think if they really need more presence from the outside, particularly if a team is really effective at running a, a packing in a zone defense, perhaps you could see Ben Gregg get more minutes just as a dude who can shoot threes. But it is, it is, it's a weak spot on this team. It's the way that the roster is constructed is much better defensively than last year's roster, more balanced offensively, I think, than last year's roster, particularly if you look like one through 10 as opposed to just one through six or seven. But they do lack veteran outside shooting. And it against good teams who get really hot from the outside or, or hang with Gonzaga for a long time it could present itself as an issue at some point as the year goes on. 
Next question comes from Dave via Twitter DM. He says, should the Zags have Strother come off the bench like he did against Lewis Clark State, or is he best served in the starting lineup? So this one kind of goes hand in hand with the last one. I think he makes the most sense as a starter. I long advocated that he should be a starter over the offseason. He started that first game against Eastern Oregon, had 18 points in the first half, looked like the best player on the floor for huge chunks of time during that game. Then against Lewis Clark State, he came off the bench. He didn't play a ton in the first half, didn't do very much. Then he looked really good in the second half, hit a couple of threes. Kind of the same thing. He's had two great halves, the first half of the first game, the second half of the second game. Again, they're exhibition games. They don't mean a whole ton. We shouldn't be evaluating them too much. But I do think that Strother's outside shooting fits the starting lineup a little bit better. It gives them a little bit more balance. You could start a three-guard lineup like they did in that second game. You, you know, And obviously, it gives them a little bit more defensive flexibility because Julian Strother at this point has not proven himself to be a great defensive player, certainly not on the caliber of both Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman, who are two really, really good perimeter defensive players. So if you start one of those guys alongside Nembhard and Bolton, you have a better defensive lineup, but you just don't have as much outside shooting. You don't have as much offensive oomph. And to me, it makes sense to have more offense in the starting lineup, try to build a lead that way. And then you could have this absolutely torturous defensive unit uh, in your second unit where you could have Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman and Anton Watson all coming in around the same time. So this poor team, whoever they're playing, is going to get blitzed offensively between Drew and Chet and Julian and, you know, Andrew Nampart and Rasir Bolton, if that's your starting lineup. You're gonna, they're going to score a lot of points. They're going to they're gonna get out in transition. They're going to shoot threes with Julian and Chet. They're going to score a bunch of points. And then you bring in the second unit and the other team's finally caught their breath, and they're finally like, okay, we can start to make a dent in this lead a little bit. And then you have Watson and Hickman and Salas and all of their length and all of their defensive versatility and aggressiveness. And it's just, I mean, this is going to be a mess for opposing teams to try to figure out how to handle this. That's how I think it works best. I can understand the argument for starting a, a more balanced lineup defensively with Hunter Salas in the game instead, let's say, and then you bring Julian off the bench for instant offense. There's something to be said for that. Gonzaga has this the luxury of making these kinds of decisions and playing around with it. And it's never, none of it's bad or wrong. It's just, it's different. And, and I'm curious to see how Mark Few tinkers and, and plays around with this to find all the pieces that he thinks works the best uh, for what this team is trying to do. I don't know that it matters all that much. At the end of the day, Julian's probably, his minutes per game is not going to be dramatically different whether he's starting or whether he's coming off the bench. His points per game, his overall production, it's probably not going to change that much. Ditto with Salas and Hickman and all of those guys. I think it's probably all, they're all going to still play around the same amount of time. But I do think there's some benefit to having Strother in the starting lineup. Although, we'll see. Mark Few's going to tinker like he always does, and he'll, he'll find the recipe that I think works the best for him and, and the squad. All right, that's a wrap on our first segment. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions all episode long. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. Prize Picks is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major players as well, which obviously is appealing for Gonzaga fans. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. PrizePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the Untron Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out PrizePix.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your App Store and download the app today. 
Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. All right. Welcome back. Mailbag Monday, answering listeners' submitted questions all episode long. We got three more here. In segment two, this first question comes from Taylor on Instagram. He says, any idea where Anton Watson worked out this offseason? But for real, is his increased size going to make him a bigger offensive threat this year? Yeah, Anton Watson looks shredded, guys. He he looks like somebody who put in a lot of work physically, obviously a guy who was super athletic when he first got to Gonzaga. That was the big draw for him coming out of G-Prep, you know, coming from, he'd been recruited by Gonzaga since he was a sophomore in high school. I believe that's when he's committed. He came to campus. We saw that flashes of that athleticism as a freshman and as a sophomore. He'd been dealt with a ton of injuries, missed most of the second half of his freshman year with that shoulder injury. Now, you know, he's in this mix with Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, Ben Gregg and Caden Perry, lots of guys. And it's kind of the question. It's been a big question mark of where Anton Watson's kind of going to fit in. We know that he's great defensively. You know, we know that he's got these long arms, this tenacious ball hawking ability, great lateral athleticism to move side to side that we've seen. And we know that that's going to be here. We know that that's not going anywhere. But the question has always kind of been, can he be more than that? You know, not just for Gonzaga. Clearly, we could use any help that we can get. You know, we will take happily, but more for like his career too. Like really, really good six foot eight athletic dudes who play great defense probably have a spot in the NBA. But Watson is going to challenge that at this point because he has shown very, very little offensive creativity. He does not have... A lot of he has some adequate post moves that are, aren't going to really translate at the next level. He's a good cutter, which I think is going to help him a little bit. He moves really well in zone defenses. I think he's a, he's an asset when other teams are playing zone, which is probably going to happen a fair amount this year. So I think that that's really good. Again, not really a skill that translates much into the NBA, uh, and the, the outside shooting just hasn't showed up at all through his first two years. I mean, he's been a a very very bad three point shooter. I don't have a lot of confidence that he will display much of that this year. Maybe we'll see it a little bit. Maybe he'll knock down a, a higher percentage and hit some key shots when teams really aren't expecting it. But I don't know that a lot of his physical improvements make him a dramatically better offensive player, or at least if they do, I don't know how much we'll see it, I guess is a better way to put it, just because he's never. He, there's, there's virtually no offensive sets where he's anything higher than the fifth option offensively. Like in any lineup he's in, he's going to be the fifth option. I think we'll see him do some backdoor cutting. I think we'll see him run around like crazy when the other team's in a zone. I think we might see a slightly increased uh, mid-range game or even uh, potentially a three-point game. I think his physicality will help him if they ever play him in these small ball five lineups, which we did see a a little bit against Lewis Clark State. He did play some small ball five. I don't know how often we'll see that lineup in games just as the season goes on, because it means both Chet Holmgren and Andrew Timmy are sitting. It means neither Caden Perry or Ben Greger in the game, most likely. And I just, I don't think we'll have that happen all that often. I think there are some f- super fun lineups Gonzaga could run, like Anton Watson, Julian Strother, Hunter Salas, Rasir Bolton, Nolan Hickman. Like that team is, or, or you replace Bolton with Salas if you want. And that team is just crazy athletic, super long, really defensive minded. You know, I don't know how how much we'll see that again, because <laughs> the Zags don't need to bench Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren all that often. They might as well have one of those guys on the floor most of the time. But I think Watson's better than he was last year. He's a more improved basketball player. Will his points per game dramatically increase? Probably not. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he hasn't improved. And I think we'll be able to tell watching games this year that he's a better basketball player. 
Next question, another one from Christian via Gmail. He says, what is one player stat that might or could shock us this season? This is an interesting question. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before as a compliment to the Gonzaga fan base that I think they're rarely shocked. I think, you know, obviously basketball versus sports like baseball or football, where there's a lot more players on the roster. It's a little bit easier for for fans to be pretty well versed on everybody on the roster and their pros and cons and their strengths and weaknesses and how it might shake out on the basketball court. But I think there are some things that might be a little bit surprising. The one that I went with is Hunter Salas's field goal percentage. And I don't know how often fans find themselves shocked by a player's field goal percentage. I struggle to imagine there's a time in my life where I've ever been shocked by seeing something like that. Uh, certainly players like Drew Timmy and DeMontis Sabonis and Brandon Clark have put up some really staggering field goal percentages in their careers. But I think when you t- when you talk about a guy like Hunter Salas, who is this you know super athletic, lightning quick, uh, raw, very, very raw 18-year-old point guard, combo guard player, you, you don't think of a player who's going to be a super efficient score. And that's not a knock. It's not an insult. It's just not generally how those players are perceived. Now, Salas, through his first two games, exhibitions, very important note, has been crazy efficient. He he only take I think he, he scored like 15 points on five of seven shooting against Lewis Clark State. It was very similar against Eastern Oregon as well. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it was right around there. He's going to be he's going to be one of those guys who kind of sneaks up on you where at the end of the game you're like, oh, Salas had 14 points and six assists in 19 minutes. And I like don't remember seeing him do anything, you know, and that's that's a compliment because it means that he was efficient. He picked the correct time to take his shots. He wasn't making mistakes. He wasn't turning the ball over. He was just kind of quietly executing. And I kind of get the sense, again, with the caveat that how a player performs in exhibition games against NAIA schools is not necessarily indicative of what's going to happen in the regular season. But I have a feeling that's going to be Salas. He's going to be a guy who's going to have these kind of sneaky good games. Joel Ayayi was great at this. Excellent at this. Now, Joel was a 36% three-point shooter. I don't think Hunter Salas is going to be that. I also don't know that his volume of three-point shots is going to be... It's it's not going to be anywhere close to Joel's, so he's not going to drag his field goal percentage down by shooting a bunch of threes. So I think at the end of the day, you're going to be like, well, that guy had like a 56% field goal percentage this year, and that's really good for a combo guard. Like, that's really surprising. So that's the one that I picked here. I also think Drew Timmy's going to light it up from the free throw line, and that's going to surprise some people because there's a subset of this population that thinks of all big men as being bad at free throw shooting, and some of them have been. Uh, I would remind you that Philip Petrusev was an outstanding free throw shooter, and that was very recently (laughs) that he was on this team and knocking down a bunch of free throws. Shemek Karnowski developed into a good free throw shooter. Robert Sacre was a good free throw shooter. Gonzaga Killian Tilly was an elite free throw shooter. Kelly Olenek was a good free throw shooter. This team has had big men who are really good free throw shooters in the past. Drew Timmy has not been one of them, but he's went seven for seven against Lewis Clark State. I think if that's an area that he shows improvement, it's going to be a huge help for this team because he's going to get fouled a lot. (laughs) He's going to get fouled a whole bunch. And if he goes from a 65% free throw shooter to a 77% free throw shooter, that's a lot of extra points that Gonzaga gets to add to the book without them having to do anything differently. All right, next question, final one of this segment is from Thomas via Gmail who asks, can Ben Greg, let's try that again, can Ben Greg play well enough to steal Anton's minutes? Not overtake him completely, but make it a lot closer to the same playing time. With Ben being a potential dude who can stretch defenses on offense and with the lack of reliable threes, that this would allow Drew and Chet to work down low. So yeah, so I've gone on record as saying that Greg's outside shooting is the most important thing for him in terms of earning playing time, and I still believe that. 
He's a good offensive player. He's a good defensive player. He's got good footwork. All of the skills that he has, the only one that I think will really move the needle in terms of how many minutes he plays this season is the three-point shooting. To answer the question candidly, uh, can he? Yes. Will he? I don't think so. I do not think this is going to happen this year. Uh, for one thing, I think at this point, Ben Gregg is behind Caden Perry uh, on the in the playing time. So he'd have to overtake Caden Perry and then start cutting into Anton's minutes. I think that Caden Perry's skills, while he's he's advanced, he's you know he's he's very talented. Obviously, he's capable of playing right away. What Perry doesn't he doesn't offer anything to this team that they don't already have in Chad Holmgren, in Drew Timmy, even in Ben Gregg. Like he's he's bouncy, he's super athletic, he's more athletic than Ben Gregg. He's a better jumper than than he is. He's a better shot blocker, but he's not better at any of those things than Chet or Drew. And Ben offers something different. I mean, frankly, a lot of what Caden Perry offers also Anton Watson offers. Ben is a counter to those guys. He's more of an offensive player. He's more of a outside shooter away from the rim type guy. And that does make him unique when looking at the kind of the depth options in the front court. And so I think there is, there is an avenue where he plays more. It's zone defenses that are being, that are, that are working. <laughs> if a zone defense is working and that's really, really struggling, I could see Ben Gregg getting minutes over Caden Perry, getting minutes over even Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren. He could play over those guys because they need some more outside shooting. I think in that case, he could cut into Anton Watson's time, although Watson is actually a pretty effective player against zone defenses. So it kind of gets a little bit tricky how that, how that shakes out. I don't think it'll happen. I have will say this again. I think that Ben Gregg and Caden Perry are going to play very little this season, and I think there are people who are having a hard time uh, accepting that or realizing that. It's not a knock on them as players. They are good enough to play at this level right now. They're just behind some elite talent, and I think Anton Watson's going to play a whole bunch of minutes, more than I think some people expect him to. And between Watson, between Drew, between Chet, between Mark Fuse, like – uh, he likes to play small ball four lineups with like a, a guy like Julian Strother could end up playing some minutes at the four this year. I just don't think Ben Gregg and Caden Perry play more than five minutes per night. And I'd be pretty surprised if Ben on a regular basis cut into Anton's minutes. There might be very particular situations where he ends up playing a few more minutes per game than otherwise expected, but I don't think it's going to become a regular thing. All right, two segments down. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener submitted questions. But before we do that, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Built Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only four grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty, and all healthy. Go to BuiltBar.com now and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, Mailbag Monday is rolling on. Six great questions have been answered between the first two segments now. Here in the third segment, we got three more questions to touch on before Gonzaga's season opener against Dixie State Tuesday at 6 p.m. This first question is the second one of the show from Dave via Twitter DM. He says, has the G League season started and are there any Gonzaga alumni to keep an eye on? Why, yes, 
Both of those things are true to Dave. Uh, so the game started on 11-3, November 3rd. Uh, so far, I've seen two Zags who have played in games. Uh, it's the least surprising two. It's the two two-way guys. Uh, again, a reminder, two-way contracts in the NBA. Stipulate that you have to spend a certain amount of time on the NBA roster, but that the rest of the time you spend in the G League. So, of course, those guys obviously are going to get experience playing in both the NBA and the G League. Those two guys are Joel Iyayi for the Washington Wizards and Killian Tilly for the Memphis Grizzlies. The other player I saw on rosters when I did a quick look through at all of the rosters was David Stockton, who was on the Memphis Hustle roster, excuse me, alongside Killian Tilly. David has not gotten into a game yet. I don't know necessarily what that means. I know he was dealing with an injury when he first signed with the Grizzlies, so perhaps that is the reason he has not played. Regardless, uh, Joel has played in two games. Tilly has played in one game, which actually finished up earlier today. As I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, Tilly played uh, for he played small forward, <laughs> according to the roster, which I thought was pretty interesting. I don't know that I'm going to read into that as anything more than they just listed him as the small forward. <laughs> I don't know that it means Memphis is trying to change his position, although it's worth pointing out that they have been trying to turn Brandon Clark into a small forward somewhat unsuccessfully. So maybe they are trying the same thing with Killian Tilly. Tilly had 10 points and two boards. Uh, he took eight threes. He only made two of them. But I love seeing Killian Tilly try to shoot eight threes because that's his best potential NBA skill set. Not potential, it is his best NBA skill set. And he has been a productive NBA player when given the opportunity, in part because of his outside shooting. So hopefully he will get a chance to play up in Memphis soon with the Grizzlies, not with the Memphis Hustle. And then Joel, he's two games with Washington's G League affiliate. He has 11 points, eight assists, and four boards, four boards, excuse me, in the first game, 16 points, six assists, eight boards in the second game. That should look pretty darn familiar to all of you out there. That right there is the Joel that we know that we loved for multiple seasons in Spokane, putting up multiple points, rebounds, and assists night in and night out. Through two games, that is an average of 13.5 points, seven assists, and six rebounds. That's incredible. A borderline triple-double every night out. That is what Joel brings to the table. I mentioned this in a recent episode talking about Zags in the NBA. Joel, was surprisingly undrafted, which I think was a mistake. I think he deserved to be drafted. But then what happened after that is he signed with the Los Angeles Lakers and looked very bad in the summer league. And it made it hard to justify rostering him. LA obviously signed a whole bunch of veteran players in free agency. It's not going well for them. Uh, Joel was a roster casualty because of that. He signed the next day with the Washington Wizards. Clearly teams value what he brings to the table. And you can see why. 13.7 assists, six boards through two games in the G League. I, I mentioned, I think he's genuinely capable of being an MVP candidate in the G League. If he plays most of the season in the G League, which is probably what's going to happen. We talked about Washington and their depth. They don't have the room to have Joel play very often on that roster. Joel is going to light it up in the G League. 14.7 assists, six boards. If he averages that for the full season or close to that, that's probably not the MVP because 14 points is a little low, but I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, those are really good numbers. If you come anywhere close to averaging a triple double, or at least being well over five in all three of those categories, people are going to be talking about you. And I think that's what we're going to see out of Joel this year. I will continue to update everybody on the G League stats, as well as the NBA stats, and eventually some European stats as well. I love tracking former Zags and what they're doing. So keep, keep on the lookout. We'll have segments talking about this stuff going forward. Hopefully we'll see some more Zags pop up in the G League at some point as the year goes on. But for now, we have these two guys and potentially David as well. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, if you had to pick a non-Gonzaga team in the WCC that could surprise, who would you select and why? 
then he says, Stan Johnson has done a nice job at LMU. Is this a 20-win team that makes the NIT or a fringe tournament team? Yeah, so um, surprise is a somewhat relative term. I think there are some people out there who have been really in on certain teams that are not BYU and St. Mary's for a long time, whereas there's a lot more casual Gonzaga fans or casual college basketball fans who would be surprised to see any team that is not Gonzaga or BYU or St. Mary's be good (laughs) this season. I think Pepperdine snuck up on a lot of people who weren't really aware of how good Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards were last year. Uh, This year, I think LMU probably does fit that mold the best. Uh, They have Eli Scott, who is basically Draymond Green with more offense. Uh, He's extraordinarily good. He's a redshirt senior who came back, used that extra COVID season. He averaged like 18 and six and six last year. Really, really talented player. Uh, They're hopefully going to get a healthy Damian Douglas, who's been hurt for the the majority of the last two seasons. If he's healthy, he's a six foot eight guy. You can play the two, the three and the four. He's a good scorer at all three levels. Those two guys, plus Cam Shelton, grad transfer from Northern Arizona, who averaged 19.6 rebounds, four assists last year for Northern Arizona. Those three guys make LMU good. Stan Johnson makes them really good. He's a nice coach. He's talented. He's good at what he does. 20-win team that makes the NIT is definitely believable. Fringe tournament team, I would be pretty surprised. They would have to win more than 50% of their games against Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's. They would probably have to win 75% of those games, which means they either have to beat Gonzaga or beat BYU and St. Mary's every single time that they play them. That's a really tough ask. I think they can beat St. Mary's twice. I think they can beat BYU once. I think it's possible that they can beat BYU twice, but that's a really tough ask. They also have to face them again in the WCC tournament, most likely. If they do that, if they make it to the WCC tournament championship, lose to Gonzaga again, there's a chance. There's a chance they make the NCAA tournament. I think more than likely is they finish around 20 wins. They either make the NIT or the CBI. They have some success at that level. I'm not quite ready to crown them a tournament team, but this is a talented roster. San Francisco is going to be good this year. They got a lot of good transfers. Jamari Bouye is back. They're going to be good. San Diego has a chance to really surprise even people who follow this conference really closely. I think San Diego could really surprise people. Again, they have a ton of transfers. They added like five new transfers. Trying to predict how a team that added a bunch of transfers is going to do is really hard because we haven't seen those. Those transfers often were in different roles than they're going to be in on their new team. So you can't really just translate their production over. Certainly we've seen that with like, you know, Geno Crandall was not the same player at Gonzaga that he was at North Dakota, whereas Ryan Woolridge was a more efficient player when he moved over from North Texas. Like the the transfer market really makes it hard to evaluate how teams are going to be. So teams that are really transfer heavy, like San Diego, like San Francisco, a little bit tougher to predict. But I think both those teams could, could make some noise this year. And then the final question of the show comes from Jim via Facebook, who asks, with Tommy Lloyd's departure, are other coaches considered as potential head coaches by other programs? Uh, so, yeah, so this is a good question. Obviously, Tommy Lloyd at Gonzaga for 20 years, the associate head coach for 10 plus of those seasons. It was very obvious that he would be considered a, a prominent coaching candidate at other jobs. It still didn't feel like he was actually going to leave. <laughs> I think a lot of people were pretty surprised by that. But Arizona was a, it was a very appealing job. I get it. I don't blame him at all. I totally understand why that happened. Looking at the rest of the staff, obviously Brian Michelson is the coach who stepped up into the associate head coach role. Michelson has been at Gonzaga for a very long time. He frequently shows up on like 40 under 40 lists or previously 35 under 35 lists of like hot young names to keep an eye on in college basketball. So clearly he has some pedigree. He has some attention. Being an associate head coach, you know, at his age for a program like Gonzaga, obviously that carries some, some weight. 
I think his situation is similar to Lloyd's where people expect that he's now the next in line for this job and he's not going to go anywhere for a while. Lloyd lasted 20 years at Gonzaga before he left. I don't know if Michaelson would make it that long. I don't think Mark Few is going to make it that long, so it doesn't may not necessarily matter. But I think he's definitely on team's radars. I don't think that any of the big jobs are going to come for him yet. I don't think he's going to leave for a small job, so I think he's going to be around for a bit. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him take a similar path, maybe slightly accelerated from Tommy's, but a similar-ish path. Uh, Elsewhere, Roger Powell uh, was the associate head coach at Vanderbilt before he came to Gonzaga in 2019. I could see him getting some attention. I don't know that he would step directly into a head coaching job at a Power 5 school, but I think there are some, you know, some lower level schools, uh, you know, d- other mid-majors in the D1 level that, that could potentially try to pull him away. Uh, he's got a lot of pedigree, not just as a coach. He was a former player, very good college player, played, played briefly in the NBA, played overseas, as you know, has been a coach for the last 10 years. Again, was an associate head coach at a, a prominent program in Vanderbilt. They're not a great basketball school, but they are a, a big school <laughs> that he has been an associate head coach at. Obviously, now he's got multiple years of experience at Gonzaga. I think it's less likely that he gets poached for a head coaching job, but I wouldn't be shocked if he got pulled for some like pretty good, cushy associate head coach positions, uh, and then that could potentially lead to him being a head coach down the line. All right, that is going to do it for today's episode. we got a fun week lined up this week. We're going to talk all things Dixie State ahead of the season opener on Tuesday. we got, of course, WCC Wednesday, looking at how the opening games went for all the other schools in the conference. Andy Locks on Thursday, so feel free to submit any of your hot takes either before or after the Dixie State game. Uh, if you got hot takes about the Texas game, you can get them in ahead of time, and we'll talk about them on Thursday. And then on Friday, i got a guest joining me. Him and I are going to talk about that Texas game what to watch for, and what will be one of the biggest games in the kennels history. All of that right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, of course, available wherever you get your podcasts, soon to be available on YouTube this week, folks, I promise. Uh, and another reminder, podcast links will also be available on Twitter at Locked on Zags and on my own personal Twitter account, which you can be, which can be found if you don't follow it already at ScoreZagsScore. Finally, now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked on NBA podcast. You can get all your daily NBA updates from a variety of league experts while checking in on your favorite Zags playing at the next level. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!